0: Welcome to the
1: Choose to Be podcast. Thanks for joining us.
0: Where healing begins with you, and we're here to support you along the way.
1: Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us. We are talking about attachment this entire month. We're going through attachment theory, I should say. We're going to go through all of the different attachment styles, but throughout the month, we're going to pull in. Different ways that this shows up in our relationships, in how this shows up in betrayal trauma, in addiction. So, I'm really excited to take this really big nuanced topic, Alana, and break it down into different ways that you and I see this show up throughout our clients' journey and also the journey relationally when they are reintegrating back into the relationship, too. So, again, lots and lots of nuances to
0: this attachment theory. Is it okay if we just for a minute, talk about why the heck we even talk about attachment and why this is important? Because I had a client in my office, a brand new client recently. And we were, I was asking all sorts of attachment based questions in her childhood. And as I'm asking these questions, I thought, hold up, Alana, you probably need to just stop and let her know why the heck you're asking her these questions. Cause she came to me and she's like, Hey, I'm here because I have betrayal trauma and I want to work things out with my husband. Okay. But then here I'm asking all these questions around her childhood and how, what did mom do? And what did dad do? And who did you turn to when you were in need of comfort? And I could tell that a little bit of her brain is going, Why are we spending time on this? So, first of all, I just want to say attachment. Means everything when we're talking about how you interact in relationships. And so, your adult relationships, we get the template of how to interact relationally through attachment and attachment. 75% of our attachment is secure in place before the age of three. And then the rest of that 25% happens through our childhood. And so, that childhood attachment that we have, we carry that into our adult relationships. And it stays pretty consistent over time. For some of you, that might mean, oh crap, I had all sorts of issues with my parents. What does that mean for me? And when I say it stays pretty consistent over time, that's without doing your healing work. That's if we don't do anything. Attachment actually can be changed. So when we go through the different attachment styles, if you have an attachment style that you don't like, you're not stuck with it forever. Well, if you do nothing... (laughs) That's you are (laughs) yeah but they say really working on healing your attachment it's about three to five years of work so can be changed but this is why amy and i are spending a whole month on this this is why it's important is because those childhood attachments what was secured in childhood is what you carry into your current relationship today and even if you don't stay with your current partner you will carry that same attachment into the next relationship and the next relationship. Absolutely.
1: And as you're saying that, a couple other things came to my mind because when something becomes a buzzword, then clients will start bringing it up and then they'll start talking about this as like a diagnosis Mm, mm -hmm. or even like a horoscope. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Especially my divorce ladies, when they're talking about dating, they'll bring this into prediction of their dating experience. And in a sense, like you're saying, Yeah, if you're not aware of how you're showing up, which by the way, this is just how we got our needs met early Mm -hmm. in childhood. So this is how part of me figured out how to get a need met that wasn't met by primary attachment giver. And that is what can get carried through relationships. But I just want to start off with this isn't a diagnosis for yourself or your partner. And I see that show up a lot as well. You're smiling, so I think you do too. Where when we're learning about these different things that contribute to addiction, to trauma, there's nothing wrong with trying to understand it. We have to be very careful not to use it as a diagnosis. It is way too nuanced for that or weaponize it against yourself or your
0: partner. Yes, and the minute we label ourselves Then we tend to hold on to that label and we find all the reasons to validate that label. And then we don't move out of that label. Yep. So yes, because really the early bond and early attachment creates a template or rules of how we build and interpret relationships as an adult. It's not a personality trait. It's not something you're stuck with forever. It's just that template that allows you to interpret and build relationships as adults. Yep. So that's something that we can work with, we can learn from, we can alter, we can change, we can grow, we can heal.
1: Yeah, we really can get stuck in the labeling of that, labeling ourselves in that. And all this is is a framework. There's so much research done that I think attachment theory is just one way to collect all of the research and data that's been done on this type of subject and put a framework together. So that right there, I I think will help a lot of listeners just maybe let go or realize how they've been holding on to this in an unhealthy way for themselves or towards their partner. So that I think is a beautiful way to really start this off before we go into the different styles of attachment. We're going to talk about different ways that these styles show up. And you might even go, oh, I can really identify with anxious, insecure attachment. And then you're like, oh, but I can identify a little bit with the avoidant. And this is, I think, maybe another point to make, Alana, is that Mm -hmm. you could show up in a different style with different people and different relationships. So you Mm -hmm. might be secure overall, but then get into maybe, let's just say, a work relationship where it's really volatile. And now you're you're feeling a lot of anxious attachment styles show up with that person, which is why we don't label or diagnose overall. I actually think you pointed that out to me one time, Alana, years ago, when you and I were still getting to know each other a little bit. And I think I shared something, and then I didn't hear from you. And then all of a sudden I noticed massive anxiousness show up. And I was like, I thought something happened. What did I do? Of course, I went into that whole insecure. Must be me. Da, da, da. And then you got on and it was totally normal. And then I brought it up to you when we were face to face talking. And I'm like, what's wrong with me? I feel like I'm secure overall. I feel pretty good about myself. And then I'll show up this way. And you had actually brought that up. Well, this is a new developing relationship and you can be secure over here, but show some anxiousness in this area. And it was
0: just a funny example of how. Actually, this example will play into other stuff we talk about because I tend to be more Mm avoidant. I have more of these avoidant attachment styles. And so if Amy tends to be more anxiously attached, then I can trigger her really easily because when my life gets really hard and overwhelming, I will just disappear. I will go into my little hole and just try to function and... Not many people come in that, basically my husband and my kids. And it's not that Amy is my favorite human in the entire world, but it's just how I survive. But if I just disappear and Amy doesn't hear that, and then where are you, Amy, have more of the anxious attachment, we both have done a lot of work that has brought us more towards we're, new. We're going to give <laughs> ourselves credit for the work we've done. We're good now. <laughs> we're healed in every way. No, but Amy... Then that I can trigger her in that way. And so even us both knowing those attachment styles, we now have learned better how to work together. That I know that if I'm crawling into a hole, I'm like, Amy, I love you. I'm crawling into a hole. I don't say it exactly like that. But in essence, I try to give her this little idea where I'm at so she's not worrying that it's about her because it's not about her. It's never about her. But then we learn to work together. But there is a website called attachmentproject.com. You can go to this and you can actually fill in information and you do this whole assessment and it breaks up your attachment style that came from your uh, mother and your attachment style that came from your father. But what it does is it doesn't just give you this flat label. It actually pins you on this graph where you have this y-axis and this um, x-axis And you're able to see where you fit in this because it's not just a, you fit in this. You're going to be, I may be more of this and less of this. And it shows more of those nuances. Mm -hmm. And it is really interesting. We had some of our older kids take it and just noticing they had different attachments with mom versus dad and how that shows up and then learning that for ourselves.
1: Yeah, it is actually really, really cool. We'll put that in the show notes for y'all. But yeah, I think just recognizing how, like you're saying, how what you picked up from each parent, but also how you adapted that in different relationships. Mm -hmm. I can see even my children, how they attach to me differently than their dad. And then just different children attach to me differently or respond to me differently. So it, Mm -hmm. it helps. And then we'll get into these different attachment styles, I promise, but it really has helped me. With my children, with my husband to not take it personally and to know how to better show up for them. Yeah. When I know I have an avoidant child and they aren't reaching out to me rather than saying, oh, they must not want me in their life, they must whatever. I know how to meet them where they're at. I know what to say, what not to say to provide that safety because really they just went to another island and I know how to build a bridge. That lets them walk very safely over the bridge (laughs) off of their isolated island when they've ghosted. So this can really help the relationship when you learn. Now, obviously, we all want to be aiming for that secure attachment because this is where you do have healthy intimacy. This is where you have good communication with each other. You're not overly dependent on the person, not clingy but you're okay with that vulnerability and with connecting in those different levels of intimacy. Anything else to add to secure, just generally? Um,
0: With secure attachment on the attachment project, they say that about 66% of adults are securely attached. What's interesting to me is as I have worked with those who struggle with addiction, specifically or just living a life of duplicity what's interesting to me is when they first come to me and we look at attachment versus being a year or two into work and we look at attachment we tend to get a much more clear picture with time because when we are looking at attachment and we'll go into this more in a later episode when we talk about betrayal blindness But when we look at attachment, we are so hardwired as humans to want to see our attachment figures in the best light possible. And so we are so hardwired. It's it's so interesting to me as working with adults that they go back and they have such a hard time looking with clarity at what the true picture was. Uh And there's this big fear of, oh no, we're just going to rip apart my parents and you're going to ruin what I think of my childhood, which is, Not at all what we do. That's not the focus. But what we want to do is look at things with a clear picture and the way that we as kids try to only see our parents in a good light as part of our attachment survival. And we won't go into all of the details on that in this episode because we've mentioned it so many times in other episodes. But I'll just suffice us to say, we really need and want to see our parents as good and safe and secure. And so we work hard to either make ourselves the problem or give any other excuse or reason. And we carry that with such a strong,
1: like torch, honestly, it's like they carry the torch with the flame burning.
0: Yeah. A torch, a filter over our mind that when we first are looking at attachment, we always don't have clarity. Mm -hmm. So i And I don't even know why I share this, maybe because that sixty six percent surprises me just a little bit. My brain goes, Huh, I wonder how many truly are secure, and that's okay i I hope sixty six percent are, but I think I want to give permission to any of you that if as you're listening to this and as you go start to research it or you're working with your professional and you figure out that oh, I actually really lean more towards this, that you can still feel really okay with wherever you're at. Yeah, I love that. I think when I really look at secure attachment, it's when I am in distress, I feel safe and secure enough to turn to that primary attachment. And I have faith or I believe that they will be able to be there for me. Mm. So somebody who's securely attached goes, when everything falls apart, I know I can turn to this person.
1: That would be relationally
0: yes relationally but attachment is built in how we relate to other people so when i have secure attachment say if my relationship if i have secure attachment i know like i can trust myself that i know who to turn to and i can go i know that if i'm having a hard time i can call amy i know that if i called amy and if I were in tears and I said, Amy, I need you right now, she would either drop everything in that moment or she, if I told her to, or if I let her, she'd be on an airplane. I have no doubt in my mind that Amy would do that for me. I have a very secure relational attachment with you. There's other people that I go, man, I wish they could be there for me. And I don't think they can. And so therefore, I must go get my own needs met. Or I don't think they can. Therefore, I must beg and plead and try to convince them or fill in the other types of attachments.
1: And I I think ultimately the part I wanted to highlight in that is when who we want to meet that need can't for whatever reason, secure also is not crumbling to the floor. It is okay, who can or how can I, but from a healthy place, not, Mm -hmm. okay, that person can't. So now I'm going to go out and I'm going to ghost everybody in my family. I'm going to take off for a month and you all suck, right? We're not going to go straight to an unhealthy way of handling that. That's just the little piece that I wanted to highlight there is that, yeah, you're going to get your needs met in a healthy way, in a secure attachment. Beautifully put. Yeah. Okay, the next is anxious or insecure attachment style. And this is what I also relate to a hypervigilance. If you notice that, for example, if someone does withdraw or go away, now maybe you find yourself calling, texting, looking where they are on the map, (laughs) you 360 them, like you're digging in and needing to find where they are in a hypervigilant extreme way this also shows up where the relationship with this person you want to be in a relationship with comes above everything else almost like nothing else matters it's just this is going to come first and foremost
0: well and it's based in a fear of abandonment yeah and so anxious attachment also it's called anxious ambivalent attachment but we leave the ambivalent off but that's the official name but It's usually from misattuned or inconsistent parenting. And so often it includes low self-esteem. There's a strong fear of rejection. There's a big fear of abandonment. You can see clinginess in a relationship. If I let them get too far away from me, then they might abandon me. So we try to stay really close. We try to keep them close. And all of that is we're trying to get that attachment need met up. Don't leave me. Stay with me. And so, yeah, the hypervigilance with an insecure attachment, we get hypervigilance often anyway when we're going through betrayal trauma, but usually it's a shorter window. When we're really anxiously attached, we may be like a year or two into recovery and I still can't sleep out of the same house as them.
1: Right, right. I see this as like just really, really high intimacy needs, like just really needing that intimacy all the time.
0: And when the more distance that's created, the more painful that becomes for us.
1: Yes. Mm -hmm. The next is avoidant or more of a dismissive attachment. Mm -hmm. And so this is where I actually hear a lot of women will show up and say, I am so independent. And they want to really identify with this independence. And they are really prioritizing that freedom, that sense of space, autonomy that they give themselves.
0: The uh, the avoidant often look on the surface as very confident and self-sufficient. Yeah. Like, I got this. This was me to a T. I'm really trying to work on this. But they also struggle to tolerate too much emotional intimacy or even vulnerable intimacy. Really, Mm -hmm.
1: really hard to be vulnerable here in this.
0: For sure. And it comes from parents who typically are emotionally distant, who are more strict, who shut down feelings. They don't tolerate too many feelings. It's like, shut it down, you're fine. And they often have a high expectation of their child to be independent. So at a very young age, they're, quickly being like, you got this, you're fine, figure it out. And also avoidant, children tend to have parents who because they don't tolerate their feelings, the child has to go alone to feel feelings and to get needs met. So when I was little, my dad would say things like, you're too tender or if the feelings got too big, I had to go to my room to cry and feel feelings. And so even to this day, I have to tell myself, Stay in the moment. It's okay that my husband sees my tears, or stay in the moment. It's okay for this person to see this. And because my default still is I want to run away. And then once I'm all alone, then I can break down. Mm-hmm. That came from my avoidant attachment style.
1: I guess this is when I notice my avoidant show up is when I start to feel a little smothered. Mm-hmm. When I start to feel that trapped sense, that's when I notice the avoidant come in with certain people. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, I I gotta get out. So when you're noticing that come up, that I think sometimes correlates with the dismissive
0: attachment style. And then you ghost. And then I go, Alana. And that's exactly how you say it. I hear you in my head saying, Alana. I hear you in my head.
1: The last one is disorganized or that fearful avoidant. And I actually have a question for you. I'm looking at those four boxes in that quiz. If you have one attachment, like say anxious with one parent, avoidant with another because of how they showed up, could that also create a disorganized or is that strictly (laughs) from just trauma upon trauma? Mm -hmm. It's, it's, yeah,
0: yeah, this one, the, the fearful disorganized attachment really is, I don't know when I'm safe and when I'm okay. So you see this a lot when we have abuse. And so if you say you have an abusive dad who hits mom or hits you, or let's just say has a massive temper, you don't know when he's going to be totally fine and everything's great, or he's going to walk in the door and you better run and hide. Mm. or even one minute he's great we're all having dinner together and we're laughing somebody spills the milk and all of a sudden he's knocked the whole table over and you just absolutely freeze inside
1: so it's the hot and cold push and pull
0: you never quite know when you're safe you're always on edge okay and so you can never actually let your guard down because you don't know when or how or who is safe so it's very chaotic it's very disorganized. And you become very sensitive to what's happening around you. You become very sensitive to people's needs, but then you can never quite really feel safe. Yeah.
1: So in essence, you want the relationship with this person, but the closeness feels maybe overwhelming because you're always on guard and never know when that hot cold is going to show up.
0: Yes. And often it includes the anxious and avoidant. And so you I guess
1: get, that's where I was trying to put yeah, in my head yeah.
0: earlier. So you get both of them and you don't know when or where, like which one you need to use. So you have to always be ready for both. So in mm-hmm. essence, we need our attachments to survive, right? Yeah. So it's like, I'm ready to hold on to you and be okay, or I'm ready to run and protect myself. So if any of them to treat, this one is the most complex because usually it involves complex PTSD.
1: Absolutely. Okay. So go back to my question because that's where I was coming from. Is it one person that is showing up either anxious or avoidant or can you have this sense of disorganized attachment when you've got it coming from one parent or the other? Like one parent is anxious and one is.
0: Okay. Yeah. I get your question. But if you always know what to expect with mom and you always know what to expect with dad, then Mm -hmm. you aren't going to be disorganized because you're prepared to handle either one. It's really, you don't know what to handle. And so you can have a secure attachment to mom, but still have this disorganized attachment because dad causes such chaos in the home that 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 even mom may become dysregulated and unsafe. And so it can come from both parents or it can come from just one. But it's not necessarily that mom and dad both have totally different attachment styles.
1: Okay. That was my question.
0: That's okay. such a good question. I love that you asked that though. No, that makes sense. Okay. And, and this is probably a good place to highlight because where a lot of you listening may have in your own home with your own children, where you're trying really hard to be this secure attachment for your child, and you might have a partner who could be chaotic or erratic or unpredictable. You as a secure attachment make a big difference for your child. Them knowing with this one person, I know what to expect. And I know in a time of need, I can turn to them. That is huge in their development.
1: It is. And as I was listening to you, what you just said prior to that, it's also important to see the reality that if that volatile, hot, cold, push, pull, right? One that is creating that disorganization in the emotions of the environment.
0: That's the word I was thinking, environment. Mm -hmm. You
1: can create a place for them to go, but this is ultimately why I left my relationship in that environment because I couldn't control the environment alone. I needed the other person to show up in a healthy way, and he wasn't, and it was impacting me. I could show up secure for my kiddos, mm-hmm. but I had to do a whole heck of a lot of work in order to get that back after I was flipped upside down by him. And that's not sustainable. And ultimately, that's what happened. Is it
0: just well, what... and it diminishes your ability to be there for your kids and be that secure attachment.
1: Exactly, which, not that level. Yeah, do that long term. Mm-hmm. Um, You can only do it for so long before it starts impact that secure as well. And that's where, when I have people, should I stay? Should I go? This is where diving into attachment and how you're showing up. And this is why I'm always like, Hey, let's talk about safety. (laughs) They want to talk about relational integration. I'm like, no, we got to talk about safety because if we can't create enough of that for you, then it is impacting your children. And we're going to do a whole episode on kids. So that is coming up. But I think with this episode, really the goal is to understand the different attachment styles and really what we said in the beginning. This is not a personality. This is not a diagnosis. This is not a horoscope. This is just to help you understand how you got your needs met, how you might still be trying to get your needs met. And hopefully with that growth mindset, trying to become more secure within ourselves And invite another secure person into that secure relationship. One of my favorite questions to ask myself that I give my clients a lot is I'll say, how would Secure Amy handle this? I just step into that space. That's a really cute
0: question. How would Secure Amy handle this?
1: And it just puts me in that space when I don't feel like I might be in that space. Sometimes I surprise myself and I'm like, oh, okay. Well, actually, this is how I would handle it. But it's a really good little check-in. And then I like just getting curious about, okay, well, if I am feeling unsafe, what am I noticing myself do? And where do I notice myself go? So there's my action. Where am I going? Am I escaping? Am I running? Am I running after? (laughs) Yeah. So those are just some questions. I love just giving some questions and things to start getting curious about and become aware of as you explore your attachment style.
0: Good luck with this. I had a client come to me the other day and she said, Alana, I realize I have an insecure attachment. What recommendations for books or workbooks do you have for me? And I was like, oh, I'm so proud of you because we're doing a lot of good work, but this was something that she was ready to dive into on her own on top of what we were doing. And so she got on Amazon, she ordered herself a workbook. She's been processing through it. What's been so cool is stuff has popped up through the questions they're asking her in this workbook that then she brings that back to session. And then we really are exploring it and diving deeper. And it is beautiful watching this work and this healing that she's doing. So as you embark on learning about yourself, about your attachment styles, and you move towards that secure and healthy It really can aid your healing and your growth. Such good work. So as always, thanks for hanging out with Amy and I today. We'll dive more into just different elements of attachment. Next week, we're going to look more at some of your relationship and how attachment can show up with betrayal. And so we look forward to seeing you all next week. Healing is such an inside job,
1: right? Which makes sense when trauma is as well. Betrayal trauma often shatters your beliefs, beliefs in and around everything. I didn't believe I was capable enough, worthy enough, lovable enough. I didn't believe that I could really heal, feel, or let go. I created the Believing In You coaching membership to support women who are wanting to start believing again, believing in themselves. This is not a support group it's really for those ready to take their healing up a level, or two, or three. Coaching digs deep here. You get lovingly pushed to really see into yourself, and even more, you get access to me in between sessions for individual coaching around those stuck points. I teach tools and concepts every week, and members get 25% savings on as many one-on-one sessions with me as they want. There are also many ways that you can use this coaching membership. Whether it's to learn how to become more secure in attachment, how to create healthy intimacy within, achieve new goals, I will coach you towards your new beliefs about all of it. Evening and afternoon spots available, only a few left as groups are kept small. Click the link in the show notes for more information or head over to chooserecoveryservices.com. I would love to help you continue to choose healing, choose recovery, and choose you. Take care, everybody.